You know, after your whole experience through, you know, being incarcerated and accusations and everything, do you, where does, do you have like, who do you, who do you blame the most, do you feel like? Congrats on you guys is in yay Yeah. The wedding date isn't yet, right? Yeah, the wedding date. I yeah, saw the meteor, man. It was really cool. Oh, you did? Yeah. Yay. Okay, cool. It really yeah. inspired me. Uh... <laughs> that was a production that Chris manufactured on a Sunday when I was the most unsuspecting. <laughs> <laughs> like, you could tell I was the most unsuspecting because I was in my pajamas. I was sewing a wizard cloak. Like, yeah. I was down on that floor. <laughs> and to, like, hear this, like, missile sound. It sounded like a missile to me that he, like, he rigged up our entire house and our entire backyard with, um, you know, secret speakers and, like, lights so that when I came down, he, like, dug... Um, a fog machine like underground underneath the meteorite so that it was smoking. Oh, yeah. And it's it's great. Like he had this thing, really you should ask Chris about it, but like he had like manufactured this whole thing for he was working on it with his brother for a year. Oh wow. So like and then just one day he was like, today's the day. And so he made the rounds and like brought champagne to my parents. And oh. then while I was like he was running errands while I was sewing my cloak and here oh, it are. almost sounds like a Disney. Uh, <laughs> he was running errands while I was sewing my cloak. It sounds like a new, um, like a like a, a, a deleted scene from Shrek or something, you know, <laughs> or from like a Renaissance fair, maybe. We go to plenty of Renaissance fairs. In fact, we even out Renaissance fared a Renaissance fair once. Really? Yes. And so- Ren fairs. I'm going to throw out the term because people don't know. I've been to a few. I've been caught in a, caught in a, some. Uh, I would almost say misdemeanor crimes at a few of them, but oh. people call them Ren fairs, right? Yes. Okay. Good. Yeah. I like to use that term when I can. This is the only time <laughs> the I'll politically use correct it. term. Yeah. Or just kind of a little bit of slang, you know. We were yeah. at a Ren fair. Sure. Yeah. No. Um. His brother, uh, Chris's brother, is a professional knight. Mm-hmm. Um. Like he runs the Seattle Knights, uh, where they do jousting and um, oh, choreact, like choreographed. Um fight scenes and they get hired by Ren Fairs to put on shows. So where they're doing the jousting and the fighting and they're using actual swords and actual armor. So whenever we go to a Renaissance Fair, we get hooked up with their gear. Oh, I see. And we can out, yeah, we can out Renaissance. at a Ren Fair. Absolutely. We we have 100% like full access Ren Fair. And um, this one time we went to... So if so if people are wondering what's going on with Amanda Knox, she has backstage passes at a Renaissance fair. Yes, yeah. Uh, I I could tell you recent, the goings on. <laughs> yeah, and a recent engagement that kind of like puts like a, it kind of puts a nice charm into your life. <laughs> yes. Oh God. Um yeah, this is the stuff that people don't know about me. People think they know a lot of things about me, but really I'm just a nerd who likes to wear costumes and go to <laughs> yeah. Ren Fairs. <laughs> now Ren Fairs, I feel like Ren Fairs kind of do are they 
is their arch rival kind of like a carnival, like the small town carny folk? I feel like those people probably I could see them kind of getting in, into some fist of cuffs at night or something, you know? You know, um, I know there's some crossover. Um, I do know that some performers who come to Renaissance fairs do perform at carnivals as well. Like there was this one amazing woman who um, trained a bunch of rats to like do um, acrobatics with her. Oh, yeah. um, Which was great. I should know and her. <laughs> <laughs> she was awesome and she goes to the Ren Fairs and the carnivals. Um, carnivals, I wish, I don't know, I, I feel like carnivals just make me feel sick. I don't know. Oh, I'm yeah, not... It's a little seedier. They get you hopped up on the sugar, then they, yeah. they, trick, they shake you up with the machinery. Yeah. It's kind of an old school. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very, it's a lot more adrenaline rush than I think I can handle. I, I just tend to feel a little nauseated. Yeah. Um, so I don't go to carnivals very often anymore. So Ren Fairs, yeah, I would say, yeah, Ren Fair is almost like a carnival minus the nausea. Yes. There's more... Um... And more playfulness because you're like, you go and you're not exactly in character, but you're playing pretend. Like everyone's just kind of playing pretend with each other and they're yeah. getting their hair braided so they can look more renaissance-y and yeah. like the idea is to just sort of like let your inner nerd embrace itself yeah and like there it's you know these are some places where like it's the one place that somebody feels at home like the you know to be nerdy in the world like yeah you can be a cool nerd in this world but not everyone's a cool nerd some people are just straight up nerds yeah and like when you are allow yourself to get into costume and just, just like out. and just nerd out and it's so sweet and it's so fun i love it <laughs> yeah it's kind of like you see people like uh yeah you'll see like like a fair maid in there you'll see um like a lot of wooden swords you you um, hear a lot about corset gasms oh yeah oh really have you heard of a corset i've gasm? seen honestly some big tits at a uh, renaissance fair <laughs> yes like if they you come yeah. out oh, they're, they're yes. really <laughs> that's the place to let them on display if but you then... like sunburnt cleavage dude <laughs> yes then a fair <laughs> that is, is the place and minnesota has a lot of big ones too i know that yeah i've heard about them i've never actually been to those before but I think um, me and Chris are going to be going with his brother and um, wife and their best friend. They all do Ren Fair stuff together. I think we're going to be going down to this big one in Texas in November. Wow. And I'm really excited. Apparently, it is like 10 times as big as any of them that are here in in Washington State. And Dang. Yeah. So it's just like a world to ex- – an alternate reality to explore while wearing dope costumes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and peaceful – more peaceful times, I think, in a way. Maybe – well, I don't know. They had dragons back then. <laughs> You know, you they s- wish they had dragons. They really do. Yeah, I guess they <laughs> wish they had dragons. That's it. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the it depends on the fair because it's still a fair. Like you know, there's still going to be some fair food. Um, I don't know. I find it really exciting. Um, I think that I love watching his brother do his thing. Yeah, uh, like doing like they are swinging real swords at each other and occasionally like he'll get like a, a a sharp elbow to the to the face and he'll have like his face cut open and it's like this this is real yeah um the only difference is no one's actually trying to kill each other they right. just look like they are and occasionally someone gets hurt yeah yeah ren fairs you know i went when i was actually i went a couple years ago i'll be honest you know i'm trying to lie about it but <laughs> i went a few years ago and uh and, and it was uh what was it like oh it started raining so suddenly like behind Behind the scene, like everything kind of became, um, like the t- the worlds kind of got mixed because everybody's trying to stay dry. Mm-hmm. So you had a lot of people that weren't like in, you know, in like Ren garb, mm-hmm. like trying to get into the Ren holes and stuff. And totally. stuff got a little um, shelter became uh, it was a commodity. Well, yeah, especially because a lot of these fairs are um, end up being sort of 
put out into these fields. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was like it. all the water just accumulates in these fields. And like <laughs> yeah. the, the Ren Fair that I go to in Washington State very often, like, you know, it, it's there and then like it has to disappear at the end of the Ren Fair. And then that that field gets recycled into something else. And I've used it before to do a mud run, oh, which I is to that. do like an obstacle, like mud course. Where so that's like the week after Ren Fair, it's mud yeah, run. Yeah, it's mud run. <laughs> yeah. People don't realize like, that's crazy. I wonder what the field thinks. I wonder what the field's like, oh, who's on my back this week? <laughs> yeah, you know? totally. Oh, thankfully it's the Ren Fair. They're pretty yep. calm. Yeah. And then it's these mud freaks. And the then the mud freaks are like chugging beer <laughs> and like getting really dirty. And that's also a great use of random grass field yeah so yeah that's interesting yeah the one that i went to was way out in the middle of nowhere and we went when i was in school i was in like a special class and so they would take us out there and one time they're like okay you have to dress up and i was i didn't understand the concept and uh, of renaissance fairs and i was um peter pan that works so it worked but it was uh I don't you were think. in the kind of right time period in terms of fairy tale like that totally they uh, have they have like robin hood themed um Ren That's who I think they... I meant to be was Robin Hood, and I just messed up, <laughs> you know? And my whole Green. costume, we didn't sew it. It was all just tight. It was like a bunch of stuff, and then I wrapped myself in fishing twine, right, to hold okay. it all together. So it was way bizarre. I'm having trouble visualizing this, yeah. but I do you have pictures? Uh, I, I think there's some drawings or sketches okay. of it back in the day. <laughs> but it was definitely oh, kind of okay. a seedy yeah. look. They were pretty much the same thing, Robin Hood and Peter Pan. Yeah, right totally. You're, you're fine, as long as you have the tunic... The green tunic, you fit in. I think I got offended, though, when people called me Robin Hood. That was my problem. Oh, you were like, and that's no, why this I, is Peter. Yeah, that's why I, I had fly. A, yeah, that's why I had a, So really, it was I just have, the way I, I interacted. Grow up. Yeah, it was the way I interacted with the world there. You know, I kind of brought, I think, a bad attitude as well. It could have been the twine, too. It was 30-pound test, and it was really, really tight. You know, so. they, there are people walking around in chainmail and like legit armor <laughs> out there, though, like 90 pounds of crap in 90 degree weather. Oh, it's yeah. Impressive. I saw a guy drinking WD-40 out there one day and I was like, oh, man, Ooh. he needs it. <laughs> or mead, just so much mead. Oh, yeah. And that's beer, right? <laughs> well, it's um, it's very sugary. Um, I think it's more like wine, um, but like extremely sugary. Mm. It's like honey. It's like, it tends to have like a honey flavor. Like a port almost or something? Yeah, yeah. Um, and people get shit-faced on that. Wow. So... <laughs> Dang. Somebody it's a lot of fun. <laughs> cooked out on some meat, huh? And some lean, too. I think it's gotten a little bit urban in some of these Ren Fairs. It's starting to, things are getting strange. Um, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. Actually, yeah. I, I I admit that I have I had not heard your podcast before, but my what convinced me to come on is one of my best friends mm -hmm. um, said that yours is the best podcast ever, and she has oh, wow. the biggest crush on you. Oh, so really? in case you want to like meet someone who's also amazing, uh, she you know she moved over all the way to Italy to like um, be supportive of me and visit me in prison. Wow! So, like she's an incredible person. And she has a big fat crush on you. So. Oh, dang. <laughs> and she's ex-Mormon, which I find that ex-Mormons are the best people ever. Yeah, they're pretty, <laughs> yeah, I've heard some things about them. I mean, they're, uh, yeah, Mormons are really, really unique. When I, like, I, I, one time I was walking through the Mormon um, place in Utah, like mm -hmm. Park City, the big. Yeah, the like, temple. Yeah, I mean, you're not allowed tabernacle. to go in the temple, yeah, but the tabernacle. And Beautiful. they had like uh, they had like nineteen weddings going on. Like I was in like four <laughs> ceremonies just on accident. I was just like uh, just like uh, accidentally just would just walk in different paths. Wow, you got lucky. I've I've 
been there before multiple times, yeah. and um, I've never seen a wedding there. I've only I've only wished like I've walked into that tabernacle and been like, God, yeah. I wish someone was singing here because they do. They're incredible yeah, singers. They're incredible musicians, and they have a really great sense of community. They're really supportive of each other, and you know, then there's all the crazy dogma but like yeah there's a lot of rough dogma with everything i feel like i feel like these days you hear more about the dogma so much of everything than you do about like the good stuff like the The humanity yes no that's my big issue is like i'm constantly coming face to face with um different kinds of dogmas um and they don't have to be established dogmas they can be like the whole vilification narrative is something that i find that's like well we've decided that somebody is a monster and now what and for me you know I feel like my job now in the world, it, having been mischaracterized as a as a monster, but also having like lived next to people who have been imprisoned for years for things that they actually did do, is be like, well, it's a lot more complicated. People are people, and the reason they do things are not for monstrous reasons most of the time. It's usually a human reason, mm. and we don't like to. I find that the greater society tends to not want to embrace those human qualities. They want to have a scapegoat. They want to like hold someone up as a symbol and say, this is something that we can hate. Do you think that it's the greater society that, because I I find that it appears that way, certainly like through the news and through media for sure. But I, person to person, I find that it's not that. Do you know do you know what I'm talking about kind of? Sure, 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 totally. Um And I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying mm-hmm. it's interesting that yeah, like as a as a as a mass mm-hmm. as a especially like if you like go th- like through with the news and media, it's like yes, it's like let's put a pin in this. This is you know, we want yeah, we need like an angel, we need a a, a devil, we need, you know, we need figures, you know, mm-hmm. f- to 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 get people excited and to get them engaged. But then when you go to um humans, it seems like there, there is more of a care about the people a lot of times, or there is, there is more empathy than you get through the narrative that's in the news. Yes, I think that on a person-to-person basis, um, the instinct that another human being is across from you and you're you automatically empathize with them because they have eyes and they have a nose and they have a mouth and they look like you because they're a human. Like that instinct kicks in. But there's another instinct that we all have, which yeah. is to stop thinking, and um, you know we're like. Where, God, I think it was, um, have you read a lot of um, Jonathan Haidt? Mm-mm. I think you would like him. Um, he talks about like the reasons why people come into conflict with each other, despite the fact that, you know, they're all good people and they're all thinking people and feeling people. And um, one of the reasons is like, you know, we're, we're like 80% chimp and like 20% bee. And like the bee part of us sort of like latches onto a group and then just agrees with everything in that group and otherizes anyone outside of that group. Mm. And so I, I find it interesting. I don't know if from your experience, like how many people have to come together into a group before they start thinking like a group as opposed to a, like an individual who sees another human being across from them. Have you noticed that? Like, have you... Um. You know, I've been amazed at just like through podcasting and stuff, like the amount of people that are good in the world. That's mm-hmm. what I find just by oh, going nice. out and doing comedy shows and having people come out to them. Mm-hmm. But just good people like um, I've just been amazed. It's really kind of changed a little bit of my perception. Sometimes I think of of the of the world, especially like through the news, mm-hmm. you know, and like the mainstream media, like 
I mean, I feel like that got so spoiled. Hmm. Um, like it's always bad news. It's always bad. And now it's gotten to the point where I think, but I think most people do not believe it anymore. Hmm. I think that most people realize that it's bad and they know that they're being, that it's a trick or that it's a, you know, and I hate to say that, you know, your experience, there's probably a lot of experiences over the past 25 years that were like paramount to probably people realizing that why I, this is, there's no value here of me giving myself to this anymore because they don't even care like what's, what's real. Like I have more mm-hmm. empathy than this news does. So it, at a certain point I'm not, if I keep taking it in and, and believing it, then I'm, I'm doing almost a disservice to my, to who I am as a, as a person. Yeah. And I think that's a fair point. Um, I also think though that we're sort of, teaching ourselves how to think less thoroughly um, just by like the way that we're consuming a lot of information a lot of inf- a lot of information is coming our way and like flashing across our eyes yeah. and like triggering an emotional response and then that emotional response happens and then it's gone and we stop thinking about it and i think we are I don't know. I, I get I get both sides of it and just you know even from personal experience getting both sides of it where on the one hand, we have we have such a hunger for like depth and human connection, and that's why a lot of the media is responding to that and trying to create these difficult, um, you know, gray space narratives. And on the other hand, we have also an outrage culture, and both of those are real. Yeah, and um, and like the 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 flippancy with which the the casualness with which yeah. we decide. Oh, I hate that person, or oh, that person's worthless, or oh, like it's just it's so quick. Yeah, is, is um, it two different us's though? Almost, do you feel like sometimes, like there's a mm-hmm. me that's, um, that like will react to something like through through television or through online and 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 make a choice, you know, pass a judgment, mm-hmm. and then there's a me that's, and that me almost doesn't even seem real. I feel like that's the same me that would engage with like, um, like flirting with women online and, and that sort of stuff sometimes where it's like, it feels almost like a video game hmm. of not real life. Hmm. Um, uh, I wish I knew that what that was like. I'm, I'm not, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. Like, uh, I obviously can't date online. Right. <laughs> so, um, I haven't had that experience, but I, I've definitely, I mean, lots of people our age are are doing online dating and are experiencing each other in a very different way. Like, it's not like you just run across them and you see them in context in a, in a, in an element right. interacting with people. What you do is you read their profile and find out what their interests are. And if you have the same interests, maybe that means that you'll get along. But I don't know. You can have completely different interests yeah. and actually get along, and that's when it's r- the real connection. Right. Yeah, I think connection, I think overall it seems like connection is just a thing that um, it's almost like I wonder if it'll be like in a museum at some point. Like it's funny, I was talking to my niece a couple of months ago and I was talking about imagination and she thought it was an app. She hadn't heard of it. Oh, sweetheart. And it broke my heart. <laughs> and she's very smart and very capable, and but it was just very bizarre to me. You yeah, know, imagination. That, is there an app for that? Yeah. Can, can I outsource? She's like, I don't think I have that. <laughs> she's like, I don't think my mom lets me, I think that's under parental controls, she said. That oh. she doesn't know if I'm like, no, 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 it's just inside of you. You know, it's like this thing that. Yeah, let's do it right now. Yeah. Let's not tell your mom. <laughs> <laughs> it's your own. It's like one of your few apps, you know. Um, do, do you have like, uh, you know, after your whole experience through, uh, you know, being incarcerated and accusations and everything, do you, where does, do you have like, who do you, who do you blame the most? Do you feel like? 
Oh, hmm. Um, I think you might be surprised um, that, you know, as much as like the blame game was happening at me, um, I don't really think of it um, in terms of blame. Um, you know, I don't. I, I had a long time to like sit in my cell and wonder why this was happening to me. Um, and, you know, that's still a question that bothers me. Like, just why me? Why me of all people in the world to have this happen to them? Um, why? Uh, and I don't have a sufficient answer for that, but I don't think that it's a specific person that I feel the need to blame. I think um, human beings fail to see each other all the time, every day. And it's not like it's someone's fault. Um, you know, I'm trying to like, one thing that I'm doing right now is I'm trying to reach out to my prosecutor because, you know, the, the easy and automatic response to any of these situations is to be like, fuck that guy. He's, right. he's a bad dude and he did something bad to me. Right. But I've never found that to be a very satisfactory, um, answer to why it doesn't answer my why question right. uh um, yeah you know like yeah, it gives you like kind of a like a cane a little bit but it doesn't really give you like a yeah. real place to stand kind of yeah and i'm i don't know if it's just my disposition but i don't like lashing out does not feel satisfact like doesn't satisfy me in any way possible i think i remember like one time wanting to like punch a pillow once and i was just like oh and it was like for some stupid thing, like maybe like uh, traffic or something. And, and and I was like, oh, that's what everyone's feeling all the time, wanting to like punch something. Like now I know what that feels like. Wow. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I it, Was there like a – but I, I guess I mean also like in a sense of like was there a group that – and not even a specific group or person, but was it more – like the the country was it more the um was it more the uh the media what was it the news was it the the police um there that that was the thing that you're like they it seems like they were the ones that kept the ball rolling because it seemed bizarre mm -hmm. that you were going through all of this i think from you know, I consider myself just kind of an everyman. It seemed like, like you didn't seem like somebody that would kill someone to me easily. And, and even with the, with the information from the case, but you, but you probably displayed behaviors where I was like, oh, if I think, you know, she seems like someone that's, a, you know, unique or aloof or whimsical. Mm -hmm. And I could see that kind of fitting like obviously a wild story. Mm -hmm. um, but was it yeah. more the media that kept you that, do you think one of them influenced more the fact that you were, you were stuck there for so long that you had to go through all of this? Do you think? Um, I think that it's like everything. It's a lot more complicated than it would be nice <laughs> if it were because it's a combination of factors. It's a combination of the law and like what what was legally allowed what the police were legally allowed to do with uh, do to me. Were they illegally allowed to psychologically torture me in an interrogation room? Well. Yes and no. Um, were were they? 
are they human beings and is their instinct to um, feel confirmation bias and to only see what they want to see and sort of ignore or disregard things that don't go with their pre with their prejudice like these these are all factors that came into play and I can't just pinpoint mm. one reason why it happened you know it's a lot of reasons do you feel like that they that they started to think that it was sexy that they had not sexy but that it was you know uh there was it was I think sex ha- played a role um but again not just for one person because right. like there's the journalist who goes here's this like here are two fresh-faced young women and and now it's sex on like girl on girl crime and that's sexy and then on the other hand there's a you know uh some police officers or prosecutors who are looking at a crime scene and looking at a body and seeing that there were signs of sexual violence. And so getting this like sexuality in their head and coming from a different culture and a different time than I was and, and, and having prejudgments about my own sexuality or the way that my sexuality even appeared to them because they didn't even really know right. what kind of sexual person I was. They just kind of assumed things based on the fact that I was an American girl. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of that that goes into play. Do you think that they start that the that the police there started to kind of get off on the attention that they were getting at a certain point and played into their own like Almost like they would keep up things, keep up the narrative and not and, you know, not veer off and not even want to veer off because it gave them it almost romanticized their position. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, I think it probably had more to do with them wanting to protect or, um, you know, they, they wanted to maintain that they were professionals with integrity and Mm. when their when their humanity came into play when their prejudices came into play when they made mistakes um like many of us admitting that they had made that mistake like they they can say like for there's this cognitive dissonance where they can say I'm a professional and I'm acting with integrity and and in a certain moment for some people like they get on the defensive and they say that therefore I cannot make a mistake Mm. Like, how can you point to uh, me and say, like, I'm a professional with an integrity. How can you tell me that I made a mistake? And it's like, well, I'm sorry, you, you made a mistake. Right, and it's like, okay, you made one. It's yeah. Not, yeah, but like it became an issue. It, then it became, became the blame game. Like very quickly it became, well, whose fault is like, this is a fucked up situation. Oh. Whose fault it is? Like whose fault is it? And under what light can we cast like how fucked up the situation is? Because we start with this death of a young woman yeah and there there's no escaping that this is a tragedy and this is this is the story of young women throughout history being targeted and abused and and murdered because yeah, they're, women have they're really taken they've taken some else like, over the decades they have yeah. and and like and so we start with that and then it becomes a, a tragedy on top of a tragedy on top of a tragedy and and how the focus gets turned from one thing to another it being like someone that's obviously like likes you know is dramatic and likes or, like I, I could see you being in like drama club in school and that's what totally I totally mean. wasn't drama club. okay cool. <laughs> so was i so i've been in some uh really bad plays one time i was in uh i think um i was in sherlock holmes oh who were you uh i was uh watson 
right? Oh, great role. But I changed it to Holmes. I got real like Latino the night of the performance and I didn't tell anybody. Wait, what? And I came out and I was like, what's happening, Holmes? And oh uh, my God. so it put a whole spin, like my own selfish spin on everything. And? And it ruined everybody else's uh. experience of the night. But for me, it was... Uh, you know, I just kind of took things into you my You were head. a play for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It really Fair. was. Yeah. Even though it was at a lot of other people's, uh, you know, because so many people have worked so hard for this night. And then, you know, it's just like me with a bad accent kind of uh, kind of cannib- uh, cannibalized it. Um, <laughs> shoot, what was I going to ask you? It was something that was good, too. She seems like theater. Oh, yeah. So at a certain point, did it become, a, were you able to laugh at the fact that it became like a comedy of errors? Or did you never even get to that place of, of like... Or were you always in a place of suffering whenever you were um, locked up? So, um, hmm. I mean, it's, again, a complicated answer to that question. Right. Um, I, when I was in prison, um, I, I realized that, like, my body sort of reset itself to a new emotional default setting. Um, where mm. like I, you know, I was a type of person who used to wake up in the morning and hear the birds sing and be like, yeah, another day, sweet. And I changed so that I woke up and I would wake up and say, another day, another day, um, we're going to get through this day. And wow. I'm not going to think about tomorrow because if I have to think about getting through tomorrow, it's it's not – I can't get through today. So I need to get through today. It's almost like a recovery program. It's almost like somebody that's in like 12-step recovery. You know, they say one day at a time, that sort of thing. Yeah, except you don't know if you're ever going to recover. Yeah. Because <laughs> like I had no idea when I was ever going to get out if I was ever going to get out. Um, Did it – did it did it feel like it paused your ability to be like a family member and um that was the hardest part um actually i had um a moment this past weekend um i'm i'm the oldest of four sisters mm-hmm. and um my youngest sister is 11 years younger than me and she just turned 21 this week um and a couple things to know about that it means that when i left she was under 10 years old oh. she was like nine years old when i left oh, so she was a fun age too uh, yeah she was a she was becoming a person and um and i was gone by the time i got back she was a young woman with her badonka donk and her nails and you know like she was a young woman oh yeah these and, spots they call them <laughs> and i i wasn't there mm. i didn't get to be there for her and be her big sister as she was moving from child to young woman um, and it hit me really hard over the weekend when like my dad was doing her 21 run. Cause like my dad got like a van and he had an itinerary where we we're going to go to like the pool hall and then we we're going to do karaoke and all the things like, she can do now that she's all the, legal. Yeah, exactly. And so like he got us all, piled us all in a van and we all went out and I, a lot of things are going on in my mind, but I was thinking, okay, I didn't get a 21 run. I turned 21 in prison and that's fine. That's okay because I'm here for my sister. But then the reminder that like this time had passed and she was a young woman, like she was a legit young woman now who could go drinking with me now. Like I missed, I missed her. Yeah. And she missed me and yeah. I wasn't there. Um, and um, how did you keep in touch? How were you able to maintain a sense of sisterhood while you were gone? 
Uh, so I was writing letters every day. That was um, how I, so what I would do. Good for you. That's pretty empowering, I bet. Just it to have was. that one thing that you can do. It's the one thing, yeah. And that and sit-ups. But like, <laughs> yeah, I got really good at sit-ups. Um, but, you know, I was allowed to have like a, a 10 pictures with me in the cell. And uh, what I would do is I would have, I would, when I was getting ready to do a letter, I would take the picture of the person that I was going to be writing to and just stare at it. And and like it got to the point where it's like a crazy person. I would like touch their face and like try to feel like I was physically mm. present with them. And and then I would write a letter and I would just like talk to the picture of them. Um and you know my little my littlest sisters were a little too young to know how to interact that way. They and writing is not their medium. Yeah. I'm constantly rewriting their essays oh, for yeah. them. But you're like from the past, yeah, you're yeah, like, I'm from the past. And then like, but my the oldest of my younger sisters, she had to become the big sister all of a sudden, and she would write to me asking for advice for how to be the big sister, ah. and that was huge. Um, that meant a lot to me i think even more than she knows the fact that she just asked yeah um because i wasn't there to yeah be she present. takes her on the role kind of yeah and she and she recognized with me being gone that there were things about being the big sister that she didn't know that like that i had been doing the whole time without her realizing it wow and so um so she grew to have like an appreciation for me that um she didn't have before mm -hmm. um and but then you know but then coming home what i found is you know i thought that i was going to go back to being the person i was and i was going to have the life that i had been stolen from for a while i was just kind of kind of go back to doing that and right. that's not what happened so like she's still kind of the big sister ah. and i'm kind of the weird alien person <laughs> do you feel like a different do you still feel like a sister do you feel like is a stepmom do you feel like an aunt i'm just wondering if there's a little bit of not reality change, because obviously these are your sisters and this is your family. Yes. And, uh, but do you feel, are you still able, did, did being in, in, um, in prison, and I say locked up, I think it's pretty dope, but, um, <laughs> but does it make you feel like, did you lose, can you still feel their love as much as before? Do you think it affected your ability to feel like other people's? So what it did, is um, before all of this happened, I was very, very, very close to my sisters, mm -hmm. and and in in the kind and there's a closeness that you get by being physically present with someone. Oh, like you yeah. just know their you you know their little you know that they chew with their mouth open sometimes when they're looking at their phones, and then you know like you know those little ticks that people have, the way that they pace themselves through life that you don't get when you are at a distance, mm -hmm. um, and. What I found is I haven't yet been able to uh, reclaim that kind of um, knowledge of them, mm. um, and nor they of me, because we we've we spent developmental periods of our life having very very different life experiences, and so we don't we have so much in common because we've gone through a trauma that affected us all, but we all experienced it very differently. Mm. And I think That's that- so fascinating to think yeah. of how each person experienced it. Yeah, so there's there's a- I mean, that's the whole tragedy of these issues is it's not just the person at ground zero. It's the whole 
world around them that suddenly like gets sucked into this black hole uh, of suffering. And, <laughs> you yeah, know, it like, seems like, and it seems like the part that really affects, or sounds like one of the things that affected you the most was that you, not even that people weren't there for you, that you couldn't be there for other people. That was the hardest one. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can't like, you can't replicate time lost with someone. Yeah. You can't. Like, I can't go back and be there the first time my little sister, you know, snuck out and got drunk and needed someone to pick her up at a party. Yeah. Like, I, I wasn't there. Yeah. Right. That oh. was my other little sister. And do they, they must know how much you care, though. I feel like, you I, seem like one of those people that it's easy for, like, or they would get used to it pretty quick. Chris, you could probably know, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, they they do. But do you feel like they it, is it part of it that you don't know if you'll ever be able to make it all the way up? Um if that makes any sense kind of. Yeah. Sometimes I'm, I feel like I love people but they're never going to know how much I love them. Hmm. And and it's hard to really sometimes even show how much you really care about somebody no matter if you yeah. what you do as a human, you know. Yeah, sometimes I do worry that um the the way that I communicate love um is potentially alien to them like you know and i'm pretty easy going like i'll i'll go and and like have them put the makeup on me or do my hair or whatever like those are nice ways that you can interact with someone and just by spending time with them doing something that they like like my little sister it loves makeup and mm -hmm. so i can i can sit there and be like do go nuts <laughs> like do picasso on me like it's great and i can do that and that's like a great way to connect with her but I, I worry that they don't know how to do that with me. Oh, I see. Like, they don't know. Like, they know. may treat you different. Yeah. Because, like, I'm... I, f I feel like they, too, are trying to reckon with the fact that everywhere I go, there's a doppelganger of me in the room, which is the foxy noxy, which is the trauma, which is the infamy, that, which is that yeah, experience. The yeah. Well... Well, yeah, but, or, but all those things or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I deal with a little bit of it myself, like even just as, um, you know, as my career has changed in the past year, you know, it's become bigger. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like I'm a, like my person, whoever I am sometimes to people is already there before I've got there, mm -hmm. you know, and there's nothing. Sometimes it's like now I used to be able to be myself completely one on one. Mm -hmm. And now it's like I, I find I have to like they already have a head start with me. In one direction, positively yeah. or negatively, yeah. or even maybe just sideways. Mm -hmm. But they have a head start with our, our interaction before I even get to them. Yeah, And so I'm always either playing from ahead or playing from behind and just trying to make things even most of the time I try and yeah. is what I feel like I'm trying to do. And I feel bad because like a lot of times what it means is you kind of have to have a conversation about like the idea of you or the idea of me that's kind of sitting there between you and you kind of have to deconstruct yeah. that just in order to reach them. Yeah. Um, because otherwise you also don't feel like you're on fair ground and I feel bad for the other person as well because yeah. they're like, well, I know you, you don't know me. Who does that make me? Like, who am yeah. I? <laughs> you know, and that <laughs> <Yeah>. sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, like, oh, sorry, I'm an accused murderer, <laughs> you know, my bad, right? <laughs> Sorry to interrupt the episode. I got to tell you about this, that they have a lot of questions when you're thinking about the internet and you are wondering which of my online searches does the government have a right to know about? And I definitely have thought about that before. First of all, 
Can dogs do menthols? That's one of mine. Obviously, you know, you know, uh, Martians and butt stuff. That's another one. And another one is uh, properties where you could, you know, put a body. The answer, none of the above. If you have ExpressVPN, without ExpressVPN's protection, though, hackers, governments, ad companies, and ISPs all have full access to your data. I don't want them using my web history or video searches against me. That's why I use ExpressVPN every time I go online. ExpressVPN encrypts and reroutes your web traffic to any number of countries, keeping you safer and secure. ExpressVPN is the fastest VPN I've tried. It costs less than $7 a month and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Protect your online activity today. You don't want these Muppets getting at you. And find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Theo. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash T-H-E-O. For three months free with a one-year package, visit expressvpn.com slash Theo to learn more. Protect yourself. Don't let the government be knowing everything that you're doing. You have a right to your own privacy, and you have a right to take care of yourself. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp is something where, say you think you want to see a therapist and you're not even sure. Well, that's, that's, that's where BetterHelp can really help you out because it's a place you can get online and, and actually meet a therapist. You can meet them over text. You can meet them over phone. You can meet them over even FaceTime and, and, and get a first experience with a therapist right there. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. The service is available for clients worldwide. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if you need. I remember one day I was having a tough day and I stopped in the car on the way here and I was driving. I was driving my car. And I stopped and I said, hey, I need some help. And then I got some better help right there. Next thing you know, I'm chatting with some lady, this blonde-haired lady therapist, and she helped me out. I'm feeling better. And then my phone died, actually, because I had, didn't have it charged up. But, but that was on FaceTime. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. And if you're listening today and you need some help, you can visit BetterHelp.com Theo and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp dot com slash t-h-e-o and join the over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional that's b-e-t-t-e-r-h-e-l-p dot com slash t-h-e-o for 10 percent off your first month and now back to our episode do um are there things that you miss like i find like you know i was uh i was in i was in the hospital for a a little bit when I was young, right? A couple of weeks and I was sick and and I was scared, right? And my family was scared. But when I got out of there, there were still a couple of things that like I really missed about it, even though it was like a scary time. Are there small things that you miss about being incarcerated that you didn't uh, um But like little things that people wouldn't even think about. I, I don't mean like, you know, recess or anything, if you guys had that. But I mean like, because rarely do you, does someone get taken out of their life 
for any reason. I mean, unless it's getting abducted by aliens or what happened to you or if somebody falls in like a sinkhole or something. But there's very few opportunities to like kind of to get pulled. I mean, just in a moment, Mm -hmm. get taken out of your life on this total side path. Um, the only thing that I can think of, um, is I wish I had more time to read now and I had plenty of time to read. Um, but honestly, I would never, I would never, ever wish imprisonment on anyone. Um, no, I, it's, I think Sam Harris asked a really good question in his podcast where he says, like, you know, the worst experience of your life, you would never want to go through it again. But is there anything that you're glad? Like, is there, or is there any part of you that is glad that you went through it? So, like, you wouldn't do it again. Mm-hmm. I would never do that again. Um, I would never wish it upon someone. Um, I think that the experience of being torn from the world um, and subjected to incredibly dehumanizing treatment in the prison system um, definitely gave me um, perspective of the different ways that like human beings suffer Mm. um, that I didn't know just because I was, you know, I was also 20. I didn't, you know, I didn't know. Um, Yeah. Who's even think, who's he, who can even really understand that at a large level? Yeah. So like I was suddenly plunged into a very real world of 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 human suffering um that I would again would never wish upon anyone um in in like extreme ways uh and um but I do love reading and I don't get to read as much as I would love these days so that's the it's literally the like the brightest star that i can (laughs) offer you right now because prison sucks and like locked up sounds cool but it's not cool yeah it's really not and like i'm sorry to like be a debbie downer too and like kind of burst the bubble or anything but it's it's like it's it's really hard to put like a, a a nice sheen on prison when it's really just a lot of people who are hurting and in pain and being and and no one cares because they're supposed to be in pain. Right. And and um and no one's getting better. Oh uh, yeah. I yeah. could see that. I yeah. could really, really see that. I'm reading this book right now about um about uh I think it's called Connections by okay. Joanne Hari. Is that that book? Remember we tried to get uh maybe have uh have them come in? And it's just talking about like um they talk about like a, a, a large woman, a woman that suffers for with obesity or eating disorders. Yeah. And and that the treatment for it is all these different diets and stuff like that. And then one time uh, they talk about whenever they sat down with the woman, she had gotten molested or sexually abused at a certain time when she was young. Mm-hmm. And that's when she started eating more so she didn't look um, attractive to men. Mm-hmm. So that if she didn't look attractive to men, then it would never happen again. Yeah, this book, it's really been, to me, it's been really neat. Um, But it's just amazing how, like, uh, the treatments that we have sometimes, um, and I think we're finding this out more now because we're a little bit more concerned with who people are on the inside. Hypothetically, in some ways, um, 
than it used to be probably, you know, 50 years ago when it was just like, oh, you're bad. You go to jail. You know, we hang the keys over here. You know, yeah. I think we're still migrating out of that whole kind of old philosophy. Yeah. Um, did you find, like, after being in there, in these environments, did you find that, did you feel like it was effective? Did you feel like it was, that the system is effective? Uh, what I noticed is that the vast majority of people who were in there whether they were guilty or not, the vast majority of them were guilty. Um, all of them felt like victims, like they were being abused, mm. like they were being abused by a greater system that, and that is like, you know, the justice system was being a bully towards them. Like right. they, you know, they're in, a lot of times impoverished, a lot of times dealing with trauma and mental issues. Um, a lot of times, you know, they, they aren't making great choices, but they're also saying to themselves, well, how many great choices do I have? Like yeah. I'm human garbage to you people. Right. And now you like lock me up in this environment to make me suffer even more. Fuck you. Yeah. Like that's a lot of the. Right. And it gives them a whole nother chip on their shoulder. Kind exactly. Of. And then they feel even more justified to like break the rules because they're like, you don't. I was like, you guys like didn't play the cards out neatly. Like it, it's not fair. It's not fair. Right. And so like they're they're also victims of the unfairness of the greater structures that led them into the prison environment. And then it's like insult to injury to be in the prison mm. environment. So. And it's tough when you have so many people. And, and it's all a system that's very bureaucratic and stuff. And it's like, how do you, at that point, it's really hard to get one-on-one -on -one attention. It's hard to get really what you need. It's almost like a cattle oh, yeah. system. I'm it sure feels it probably, like that. Does it? Yeah, yeah. No, it's... Um, what were the what were like your conditions like? So um, I've never, I've been only once into a prison here in the U.S. to visit. Mm -hmm. I was doing like a yoga behind bars um, I was like trying to um, support this organization called Yoga Behind Bars, which were these women who are going into prisons and trying to give people oh, wow. skills for like um, dealing with trauma through meditation or through just like body movements. Because a lot of our trauma is being held in our bodies and we don't have access to them. And so they were trying to give them access to their bodies in order mm. to experience it more positively. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I do yoga um, with Adrian sometimes off of the internet, off of YouTube. Adrian? Yeah, have you ever seen it? I have. Yeah. Yoga it's, with Adrian. She's just one of the first people that comes up when you do like yoga instructions. She oh, does okay. good. Yeah, it's good. I mean, okay. I like it. It's there's all different types, but um, anyway, yeah. So, so this the the conditions that that are compared to the U.S. and the ones that you had in Italy. What are, are those? Similar? Yeah. So, um, I didn't have to wear a uniform. Um, most of us just wore sweatpants because there were limitations on what you could wear. Mm -hmm. Um, but mostly we all just lived in sweatpants. 24 7 um and the another difference for me and i think it again depends on prison to prison but i was locked in my cell for most of the day mm. um so you weren't there weren't like common areas where people were you know working out or going to school um we didn't have those kind of facilities so you were you were either trapped in your room Mm -hmm. Or you were you had like your hour of outside time in this like concrete box, um, and it wasn't nice out there. No, it was a concrete box. Oh wow! Um, so with a roof on it, or it's open. I did not have a roof. Okay. Thank goodness. So I could see the sun. I could see the sky. And would you? Did you find yourself starting to like almost pray to the sun? Like, was there any like? 
like did the son become like this different friend that was out there i'm just kind of wondering depended on what side of the prison you were on oh really um in the sense that like um depending on if your 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 cell faced east or faced west the sun could be your best friend if you were in the east because you got really nice morning sunlight but if you lived in the west side it became this excruciating torturer because like the sun would come in in the summer and just cook you and like i i was it was a very happy day when i was moved on to the east side of the prison moving on up yeah moving on up to the east side (laughs) (laughs) um were there people that were friendly in there yes um and again everything is complicated right so um yeah i know these questions are kind of based in some way like i'm just trying to like Yes. So I'm uh, trying to give a scenario, right? Like, so there, yeah, the- yeah, and trying to see how do you st- how you stayed human and like with what other humans. Certainly. So there are different kinds of relationships that you can develop in a prison environment um, that are resembling of friendly or friendship. Um, a lot of times you try to develop some kind of relationship like that with your cellmate because you're trapped in a room with them, um, and you have to like problem solve and and find solutions for how to live together when you're two very very different people who are living on edge emotionally wow um and sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't depending upon a lot of factors like what is your background um what do you how do you like to spend your time do you like a lot of people inside will want to just watch tv all day and watch soap operas and like play cards great way to spend your time wasn't the way that I like to spend my time. I spent my time reading. And sometimes... Did they think you were a nerd or anything like that? Well, a lot of them, it was a little worse than that. Some of them felt like I was... Um, Better than them? Yeah. Oh. Because a lot of them were illiterate. Yeah. So... Oh, yeah. You show a book to some illiterate people, dude. They're going to think you're Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> totally. Know? And like you're showing off. And like I had people who were experiencing mental illness who were very paranoid, who like when I was like writing letters or I was journaling thought that I was writing about them. And because they couldn't read it, they were just convinced that it was about them. And I had someone like take my journal and just rip it to shreds because she was convinced that I was writing about her. And so like, it's again, it's like so different than the real world because you're interacting with people who are living like animals um, being treated like animals that can just get plucked up out of their cell and, and move and shipped off to another prison at any moment. So like any time, like any relationship that you might establish is also kind of a liability because you could also have that relationship taken away from you at any moment. Oh, wow. And so like you have to be careful about who you have a relationship and why. And usually it's a utilitarian kind of relationship. Like, oh, if I am if I don't play cards with this person in my cell, they're going to get mad at me and 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 they're going to gang up on me. So I'm it's a it's good for me to spend an hour of my day playing cards with this person right, because we're on keep here. peace. Hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of keeping peace more so than like camaraderie right a lot of just like mitigating what's going on making sure that um was there any is there any like dating or is there a dating life were there women that were attracted to you did you have to deal with that kind of thing in prison yes um that's definitely a thing um and i would almost think that that would be a luxury you know i've never been like homosexual i don't think anyway i mean i got caught up on some drugs one time and i don't know what (laughs) happened but this guy had to go to the airport but it was um but uh (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I could imagine that things get 
you know, um, so if you're wondering, it, well, I I never hooked up with anyone, but I did have someone. Did um, you have a like a? But even like I've had friends that I like. But did you did you almost have somebody that you loved in a way, like because it was like. Uh, no, I wasn't so lonely as that. I mean, I was fortunate that I always had um, a foothold outside of the prison, which was for me always the real world. Like mm-hmm. I never got, was so alone that I felt like prison was my world. And it's very ah. easy to get to that place. Um, so I had friends and family who were constantly riding with me. And also like love and sex were the last things on my mind at that point. Like I could have continued a relationship with my co-defendant who was my boyfriend right. before everything came out. But like, as soon as we got into that prison environment and the stakes were so heightened and like, Every it seemed like the only thing that mattered was like trying to get the truth out. The last thing that I was thinking about was like love and sex. I felt very alone. Um, Did part of this part of you die almost a little bit? Like, do they disappear a little? I just because that's such a vibrant time for us in our lives to be like uh, just sexual and to be like um, not curious, but just to be alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what I can say is that. Prior, so I was in prison for two years before I was convicted, and then I was in prison another two years before I was acquitted the first time. And in the two years leading up to my conviction, um, I was entirely asexual. And then my conviction happened, and I was like, holy shit, I've just been sentenced to 26 years in prison. Um, I guess I have to like reimagine my life as being an imprisoned life. And that's actually when I taught myself how to masturbate. I wow. didn't know how to masturbate before then. And and, and was um, that 23 probably, 22? I was 22, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So nobody taught you in high school or something? I guess nobody's going to teach you, but... I was a late bloomer. Oh, yeah? Honestly. Um, I was a late bloomer. Um, I never really felt comfortable uh, with my own sexuality. Um, and, and I never felt like I was a sexual human being like... A lot of people comment about like, oh, Foxy Noxy, like you have this look, you're like super hypersexual. But um, what a I was, dichotomy! Of, well, I don't know if dichotomy is right because I don't know that many of the, oh, all the words that are right. But it's like <laughs> what a total opposite then. Yeah, how bizarre! Like, yeah, I was not a, I was oh not like God. a sexual person in high school. I I was a virgin until college. And even then, I was like, I had to learn what an orgasm was. Like, it wasn't like an obvious thing for me. And um, I didn't have good sexual experiences until like after prison, really. I'm sure. Um, Yeah. Until Chris. Until I, well, no, no. There was something before that. Sorry, Chris. But, and Chris is uh, her fiance who's here. He's really picked up the slack. That's what I heard. It's true. We do have a really great sex life. And actually, we were um, on the way over here. My friend, Madison, who has the biggest crush oh, on yeah. you. Oh, yeah. She, she, she sounds very nice. Uh, she sounds like a really cool, outgoing woman. <laughs> yeah, she's great. And she sent me this um, this one one of your conversations with a young woman named Danielle, I think, who was a virgin. And then you were talking oh, to her yeah. about we're talking losing to her virginity. Virgin, yeah. yeah. And then we were like, oh, my God, what is what if he asks you about sex? And I was like, well, I guess I'll just tell him everything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because like everyone, like I've gotten the... I've had someone do the, like the really mean way of asking me about the whole Foxy Noxy thing, which is to be like, so 
are you a dominatrix? Like, Jesus. is your kink to like hurt people? Like, what is your fucking thing? Like, are you the kinkiest? Like, are you kinky? <laughs> yeah, okay. And I'm like, well, first of all, you're making kinky people sound like evil people, and kinky yeah. people are great. Yeah, for it's not like the they record. live in Transylvania. Uh, no, yeah. they're good people. <laughs> they're good people, yeah. and they're it's just all two lots over from the Ren Fair. Okay? <laughs> exactly. I mean, they're <laughs> up in the Ren Fair. You just have to ask the leather maker for the other stuff. <laughs> um, but like. I'm I'm really boring. Um, I I'm not good at sex. You know, like uh, so. I mean, I thought I was good at it a little bit, like kind of around high school, and then it's been a little bit not downhill, but it's been certainly going off the edge of the hill since. Really? Then. Why? Yeah. I just don't like. It makes me real nervous. I think a lot of huh. times, and then. Um, it's a form of communication, I've discovered. Yeah, so I could see that making me nervous, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you communicate for a living. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, <laughs> barely, though. <laughs> barely. Like, I don't even know how I got this job sometimes, but, I mean, I, I, I'm happy to have it. I just, um, but yeah, I don't, I, I, I just can't imagine, like, what that would be like, because then you're in this whole other world, everybody's like, oh, you're this sexual being, and you're like, were you just like, am I, li- did, did your whole life seem, must have seemed like almost a like a real like a joke or something did it be like what well, is going it, it, on what, what it ended up becoming was it became whatever anybody wanted it to become in order to fit the narrative that they were pushing wow in order to make the money that they were making and so and that continues to this day where like someone decides that like my existence only means this like amanda is a villain therefore Every, the confirmation bias comes down again and everything she does, if it's if it's a good thing, that's a nice thing, well, we're just going to ignore that. And if it's something that I, like, anything possible to, like, flip and, like, distort and rip out of context to to turn into the worst possible light, like, they'll do that. And yeah. that's that continues to be this to this day. So there's this, like, constant, I'm constantly reminded of the the avenues people are or the actions people are taking to see another human being like you asking me to sit down here across from you and you talk to me about Ren Fair like I feel like you're trying to see me as a person and that's so refreshing and and like I get why my friend has a crush on you and then Dang. like <laughs> and well like communication nice, it like yeah well communication is sexy right like so and it is a form of in communication is a form of sex and sex is a form of communication. So if you think of it that way, it should be easy. Yeah. Um, but then like every, and like the, the on the other flip side of it, like it is so, so ugly when it doesn't matter who you are or what you do or how even how much you reach out to a human being like they just shut down and there's a wall of hatred um, that. That comes from being a puppet in their eyes. Like mm. you're just a puppet. You're just an object. You're you're an idea, and and you you don't get to be treated like a like a human being. Wow. I don't know. It's so weird. I don't know if this is just me. No, this is this is, makes a lot of sense, and it actually leads into something. Like the media did you so wrong, and in some ways, the media did me so right. Like I I, I think that one thing that's important is. And when you say that, though, what do you mean by that? Just I mean so that you can't put the media like a lot of people act like the media is this like big one-eyed monster that like stomps around the world and crushes people with its might and it's not it's a conglomeration of people who have platforms right and have the ability to analyze information or not and i think that there was journalism that was asking hard questions and um and attempting to unravel the like the the easy narrative that was being pushed out there and then there were people who were just like oh 
it's such an easy, quick buck to like do a salacious headline and just repeat that headline that someone else wrote over in Italy. And right. like, I don't have to think about it. It's just an easy, it's an easy right. article. It's just, a, money, it's just yeah. a, it's a financial thing. Yeah. There's no, yeah, there's not even a human edge to it. Mm-hmm. Do, but I guess what I was thinking of is now, like, is it hard to now? It's like, I know you have a podcast, you have a platform, and you're talking a lot about justice. Mm-hmm. And your podcast, I want to get the name of it again. I'll mention it at the beginning, but what is it again? The Truth About True Crime. The Truth About True Crime. And True Crime is, I mean, I watched probably two episodes of something last night, you know? And I don't even know what it was, but it's like, dude, I love it, you know? If mm-hmm. there's somebody, if they find some bones, and they or there's buried treasure... What do you love about it? Count me in. I, I'm curious about this because, like, I'm I was never a true crime person until wow. I became one the subject yeah. of a true <laughs> crime. And so I I come at the true true crime genre not as like a fan, mm. but as someone who understands the human consequences of true crime. And so I'm always trying to unpack the the easy narrative that is that surrounds a lot of these crimes. Uh, that's a good question you have, and I'll answer right before, so I don't forget this question. Um, do you feel like then, because so many people are so obsessed with crime, with true crime, with other people's real, really trauma? It's almost yeah gotten, the worst experiences of people's lives. That's yes. that's the story, yeah. right? Do you feel almost like we needed someone, and not even an egotistical way? Do you ever feel like we needed someone to go through this gauntlet that you went through to come out of it with your perspective now? Because I've never even heard someone say that I look at it from this other perspective, right? Mm. Um, because that perspective is going, could really help change a lot of other people's, the way that we view and consume this stuff at such a, such a, a, a like, crazy rate. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. do you feel like a little bit that... I mean, I don't know. Eh, that's kind of like a fate question where it's like, oh, did, did this need to happen? Like, I don't know if it needed to happen. It did happen. And I find myself constantly up again, like uh, f- having a perspective that doesn't match up with the, the perspective that most people have. Mm. Um, wow. You know, like when, when Epstein killed himself in prison, a lot of people's like first sort of flippant reaction to it was good riddance, the motherfucker, like went after young girls and like abused young girls and that is all true he was a motherfucker but did he deserve to die in prison did he deserve to was it is it our responsibility now that he was in our custody to like you know i i believe that anyone should be allowed to kill themselves anytime like that's that's a different issue Mm -hmm. but like when he's in our custody and we are responsible towards that person we should not be flippant about someone killing themselves when they are in our care Mm. it's like that's for me like i was like that's like someone else killing themselves like it it it's not something to be flippant about right because you're saying it reflects on our ability to so that a prison also is a place where there should be care is that kind of if we yes absolutely like these are people who are now at our mercy Mm. like that's that's the the reality of a prison environment is you are you have put someone fully at the mercy of our justice system and our society and we are responsible for that person now and it's not just like a good riddance like a lot of people have that like attitude of like good riddance throw the way throw away the key i hope he gets raped in prison i hope that they you know kill themselves and that's not what prison is for and it's funny i think it's some of some of my thought was maybe be 
well, I thought that they would hopefully find a way to learn from this guy. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that was originally the intention of prison. Like before, before there was prison, there was dungeons where you were kept until you actually had the punishment that you were supposed to get, which yeah. was a corporeal punishment. You had your hand cut off. You were beaten. You were killed. That was the punishment for a crime. And then people came along who were like, that is just brutal. We need to understand that human beings have souls because they were religious and they have the opportunity to have some kind of redemption, mm. but we have to kind of force that redemption on them. So we're going to remove them from society and put them in a position of forced contemplation. And that was what the prison environment was for. But it was also like weirdly a way of punishing people's souls instead of their bodies. Mm. So like the prison environment weirdly the purpose of it was to kind of be a soul-crushing experience for the sake of redemption. Um, I don't know how successful it is at right. redeeming. Like, redemption, does redemption come from being soul-crushed? Like, in my experience, yeah. no. In my experience, most of the people who end up in that soul-crushing environment just end up hating society even more and feeling motivated to, like, be angry at society. And so, like, it's... The issue of like what do we do with people who have done wrongs in society is really, really complicated and has to address like how human beings really react to external things being forced upon them. And I think the most people's reaction is just fuck those guys. They're human garbage. Yeah. And and you know, human garbage or not, they're human and they belong to our society. The recyclables, you're saying. Yeah. So yes. You've been in there with them. Yeah. 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 Was it um was it tough to probably show people how much you cared while you were in there? Like if you're a caring person, I imagine and you go into it would be tough probably because it would be hard to show some people are so you know, some people have you know, done so many bad things or in so much shame or just filled with hatred or suffering in different ways mm -hmm. that it would probably be tough sometimes to show people that you cared even actually it's really easy to show someone that you care in prison i mean though in in prison or even outside of prison i think the thing that to show someone that you care is if you're present with them right now because right now is the only thing that matters it doesn't matter what happened yesterday it, it matters what's happening right now between you and me and i don't care what you did yesterday can i help you write a letter to your mom because you can't write like i can do that I don't care what you did. Right. And that's the way that I showed caring to people is like, I never asked them what crime they did. I didn't care. Um, it didn't matter to me. And it does matter in like the greater scheme of things because like we can't just act like crimes don't matter. Right. Of course. But if we're talking about like having a human, like a human connection with another person, all that matters is right now. And and that is giving that person the opportunity to be a better version of themselves mm. right now, not tomorrow, not yesterday, just right now. And that's all that matters. With the platform that you have now, is it tough to use the, do you ever feel like uh, con confused or disjointed about using media now? Because like realizing the power that it has, mm -hmm. you know, after you kind of went through a lot of you know, different pressure cookers of it, mm -hmm. or, you know, it was kind of put upon you in a lot of ways. Do you feel, did it take some time for you to say, okay, I'm going to use the same like airwaves and wavelengths that kind of damaged me mm -hmm. Certainly. To, to fight my own uh, fight for what if, to me kind of feels like justice sort of seems to be 
Yes, very central to the whole issue is the idea of justice. Does justice exist? Is justice something is a construct that we've that we've created and that we have to agree upon? Is justice a consensus? Is justice something universal? Um, how do we rep? How do we enact justice in our world? Like these are all questions mm. that I'm grappling with every day, and um, you know, it wasn't so much a question for me about. Um, the the ethicalness or not of like being a media person because again I don't think of media as this this monstrous right. entity it's it's a collection of individuals and it's a tool and you can use that tool for good or you can use that tool for bad and I think that I can use that tool for good the question for me was what is that going to cost me mm. because every time I put myself out there in the world um it comes with a cost. Yeah. There's a question. Like me being here right now talking to you, you know, it's not just a conversation, it's an opportunity for us to to like share ideas with people. Right. And how people react to those ideas is one thing. How they react to us as human beings is another. And you know, I was for a long time I was hiding. Like I didn't want to have to be answerable to other people's hatred and 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 judgment that wasn't coming from a place of judging even me it was it was judging an idea of me that had been created not of me and so like being in constant conversation with foxy noxy is um is difficult but i've realized that i do have a different perspective that i think is useful and at the very least um, is in service of people who are suffering, who don't often get recognized as as victims of a thing, as victims of a justice system. Mm -hmm. um, and I try to give voice to that. I feel a responsibility, mm. um, particularly because a lot of people who go through these these issues, nobody cares. A person could have spent 20, like there are plenty of people I know who spent like 20 plus years in prison and no one cares. Yeah. And for some reason they care about me because I like have, you know, I'm a girl. Like, I don't know. Like, it's whatever the reasons are that people get so mad or so interested in me is an opportunity for me to flip that around and go, but did you know that, right. like, there's not only is there a human being in me, but there's a whole world of humanity that's behind the kind of hatred that we just throw at people who are accused of crimes. Wow. Um, and what can we do about that? So, like, I feel a responsibility and I feel that media is a very powerful tool that should be used ethically and responsibly. And I try to do that. Am I successful? Am, am I as successful as the people who like write really flippant headlines without doing any research in order to just vilify the next person? No, unfortunately, I no. I think you will be, though. You do think you so? That? I have I no really idea. Do. I think you have such a unique and special way of like being able to, first of all, think and talk at the same time. That's a massive skill. Um, and also, is that your skill? Oh, huh? no. no. <laughs> That's not my skill. It really isn't. I don't know. Like I, I saw you. Like I was. Um, it really is not my skill. I, I mean, I saw you talking to Danielle the Virgin, and you were just kind of there, and you were present with her. Yeah. And like listening is thinking. Like listening is feel. I think thinking and feeling often get like separated out as if they're like separate things. But I think feelings are information, and if you're processing your feelings, you're pro you're thinking, you're processing information. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like that's what you do with a lot of people. 
Yeah, I think I was good at it in the beginning. I think I'm still okay with it. I just have to get a little bit more connected with myself. I just like, kind of like lost connection a little bit. And just even in the past like month or two, I've just been kind of exhausted a little. Yeah. So I realized I got to kind of recharge my batteries and stuff. And even just thinking about different things, you know. Well, what's um, going on with you? I think just probably, I think I've just been burnt out. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like doing so much stuff that I just like I was basically kind of living my dreams and I wasn't even I couldn't even like feel I wasn't having like any joy almost. I was like, man, I'm just you know what? Like I've kind of had that like this whole summer is just been like nose to the grindstone, like trying to tell these stories about vigilantism for this season of the podcast. Right. And like on the one hand, I'm having incredible conversations with people who are like in real moments of their lives, making decisions that take them out of the norm. Like uh, a guy who's a trucker who like goes around and tries to expose child predators on online and a, and a guy who then puts on a, a mask and a cape and goes out and like beats up people who are bullying other people. Like these are people who are taking action and they're and they're vigilance and they're taking action or making decisions and i'm having these incredible emotional conversations with them and then i go back and i just like you have to just plug and write and research and 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 just like get the work done and and it has been draining for me too well you have to do all the work that people didn't do for that they didn't do for you probably too yeah and that's that's when and that's that is satisfying to me because it's like I know what people didn't do for me. Yeah. And I don't want to make that mistake with someone else. Like, I know what I needed. And, like, the ability to offer that to someone else is, like, so, so satisfying. And I'm sure you have, like, incredible conversations with people, but then you kind of come away from them and you're like, where am I? Like, I've just been, like, in that other person's world, and now I have to get work done, and I have to schedule meetings, and I have to, like, you know, do all of the technological work and, and like, the emails, the endless emails, yeah. and, and it feels, like, less meaningful than that one thing. I mean, you yeah. got to get out there. Like, I've been telling myself I need to go swing dancing more. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean. You know, look, I think that, that sounds like a nice thing. Does uh, Christopher swing dance or no? Yes, we are. We are legit oh we guys are hot on the, you guys are hot to try huh? <laughs> what do you um, do though what do i like to do well it was funny because i like doing comedy and and i've always liked it and then recently it just became a little bit uh it just became like a, a little bit me like I, I felt like i was on a conveyor belt of my own life and i was just kind of going and i was like kind of there at the controls kind of but I wasn't really like involved almost, even though I was doing everything. Yeah. And so now I'm trying to take a little bit of a step back. Um, and uh, actually, just, I got a job. I'm going to do a, some work out of town for a, about a month and a half. And so it's going it's, it, it's to keep me in one place. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to take a little bit of time to my, a little more time to myself. Is it like a, a media kind of or a comedy thing? Or is it like a construction job? Like it's a film, a actually. Oh, it's going to cool. be a movie. Yeah, this guy... Um, this actor hit me up personally just about a movie. You know, I never really had any intentions of doing anything like that. Mm-hmm. But this guy, like, literally, like, three people in the world maybe could have asked me. And I feel like this guy maybe was one of them. So I'm going to try it out. And also, I think part of me just needs a new experience. It's not even, like, a big role. That's what I was going to say. Like, But I need something to kind of just just kind of remind me that of what's going on, you know, just a little change of pace. But also that, like, life can be different. Like, yeah. that's the other thing that I think new experiences are so important about is, like, we kind of all sort of dig our own trench, and then we forget that, like, life could be a different way. And, like, I always have this, like, weird little fantasy in the back of my head of, like, 
disappearing into like the mountains and making cuckoo clocks. Yeah. And that's like my weird little fantasy oh, I when I just that. when I, I feel like that. too stuck and I'm like I'm just too stuck in this fucking life that I'm <laughs> in. Like I'm like, or I could just go and like be a troll in the mountains and make cuckoo clocks. <laughs> that could also be my life. <laughs> I think. Do you, when you look back at your uh, at how you when you originally got incarcerated, do you see how like like you don't seem like somebody that would ever kill someone. You don't even seem like somebody that would probably. I could see you maybe trying. You know jarring up some fireflies overnight honestly you some know what? fireflies you know what does that mean or what are those things that lightning bugs lightning oh bugs? jarring them up i could see oh, you jarring and then them they, up and the poor things like but suffocate. they died, but yeah it was an accident you didn't know you were going to kill a couple of them you know what i'm saying you had all good intentions you just wanted like a little night light that you could carry with you to the restroom i could that, see you kind would of be doing, magical yes very i whimsical. could see you doing something like that <laughs> but do you see when people like do you see like that just but I could see how people would look at you and think like, oh, maybe, she, you know, she's whimsical or did you see looking back like, oh, maybe I could see. Were you able to even recognize like, oh, I see how people looked at me and maybe the face I wake or the, the make, make or the way I smile or my sense of humor or what I think is is fun or, or, or and they could you see how they transpose that or did you think that they just it was mostly just malicious? I mean, I think that. um most of it was some uh, something that people were projecting onto me, and I was a convenient canvas for that mm. um, because nobody knew who I was, ah. right? Like I was a nobody, and so that meant that I could be an anybody. And then once people decided what that person was, like having that be corrected, like uh, you know, yes, you you see me right now. I'm this is how I am, um, and. Uh, I I honestly feel like a lot of the negative things that people have felt about me have been a projection of their some something some kind of like nightmarish imagination that they have they've just projected onto me mm. um, because again it's like a confirmation bias you see what you want to see and if you want to see like someone could look at me right now and say oh I'm sitting here, I'm daring to sit here like talk talking to someone as if like. I am not a fucking murderer and like me, I'm just constantly like just my very, like a lot of people feel that my very existence is an affront to Meredith's memory and that like the very fact that people even know my name and, and know that I exist is an offense that I am, that I am committing against Meredith's family. And so like when my own just existence is a problem, mm. like anything can be a problem. Right. So Oh, it must be such a Is it sometimes a battle to get going every day in some ways? Like or is it like uh or does some days it just kind of you kind of have moments where it just you forget that. Not forget, but I never forget. Um I don't think I'll ever forget. Um but my life is not just what other people think of me. Yeah. In fact, the majority of my life is not that. The majority of my life is who I love and 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 what what work I'm doing because I love the work that I'm doing. Um, it's the question of now what and and the mo the beautiful thing about my life right now is I'm I can ask that question. Mm. Um, and I suppose that the question never fully went away. Even in prison, I was thinking, well. I guess this is my life. I didn't think this was going to be my life, but how do I like? How do I live my best life? And That's so brave. 
I don't know. I mean, it's I, that I, or kill yourself. Like yeah. it's, it did really you wonder, is. Did, like, w- w- did you like, I just wonder sometimes, I guess a lot of us always, I guess here's a, a lot of people wonder if they went to prison, who they would be. Oh, sure. Um, one thing. Okay. Here's something that's like really sad. Um, a thought that I have again, like, I feel like I'm such a, um, I don't I, think so. <laughs> I, so, okay. I worry that I wouldn't be a great person if it weren't for everything that I went through. Like, I would be an okay person. I've always been a nice person. I've always, like, rooted for the underdog. And I did, you know, I was, you know, doing musicals. And I would probably still be going to Ren fairs. But, like, <laughs> I – and that makes you a good person. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it helps a little. Yeah, <laughs> but, like, unique. you know, before all this happened, I didn't know about what – poverty and mental illness looked like and how that affected people. And I didn't know what the justice system was doing to people. And I did never was on my radar. You never would have known. I never would have known. And so like, I think that I would have lived a much more clueless existence. Mm. Um, But I hope not. I hope that like I would have had other experiences that would have allowed me to grow. It's hard to say though. I, I, I hate playing the what if game because on the one hand, like I do think about I wasn't there and I wasn't there when my sister turned like turned into a teenager and I wasn't there to see her. Like I wasn't there to like go and get her training bra with her. I wasn't there. And that means that, and I'm never going to get that back. But on the other hand, like I've, I got a crash course in humanity. Um, and I feel like I've done a lot of hard work to absorb um, meaning and compassion from all of that. Um, and I'm proud of that. And I want to share that with people. And I, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It seems, um, man, I, it's just, it's such, uh, there's so much like, I guess kind of like forgiveness in your story sort of, or not forgiveness, but just, it's like you didn't even kind of take that route of like blame and yeah, you a lot of people ask me about route. forgiveness, and I'm like, well, I don't even feel like I've yeah, you kind forgiven. of took this whole other route. <laughs> yeah, there's where it's all like, like you're just floating your above yeah. your perception of it all. Um, do you feel like uh, do you relate to different characters now, like villains? Whenever you see stuff on television, do you relate to more like Jessica Rabbit or Cruella Deville? Or, I don't, <laughs> Cruella Jessica De- was trouble. Yeah. Jessica <laughs> was trouble. People like to think she was just cute, but she was trouble. <laughs> she was trouble, but she was also just had you know Roger Rabbit's back the whole time. Yeah. So like sweet. Yeah, I I've been compared to Jessica Rabbit before, which is hilarious to me. Um, but but from the I'm not bad, I'm just drawn that way kind of way. Uh. And so people have used that on me before. Um, uh, I don't relate to Cruella DeVille because I love animals. Right. But get me in a room with Cruella DeVille and I think that I could uncover things about her that that I, I, I kind of pride myself on being willing to speak to anyone. Mm. I, I will talk to anyone. I've lived with people who killed their own children. So like... I can I feel comfortable speaking wow. to someone and being willing to like be present with them again like it's not like I who you are right now is a product of all of the things that came before you but I'm interested in the things that that's happening right now wow. and there could be something blossoming right now that's You're like a humanitarian real. you're like a momentarian almost <laughs> I mean if that's uh, a thing I I just I want I want to give everyone the opportunity to be a human being Mm. and um and to grow 
and and to be different and to than what my expectation is going to be. I'm really open to that. Um, I, and I don't think that makes me gullible or 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 silly because I can tell when I've definitely had encounters with people who are very dangerous and who hurt me. Um, and I've learned from those experiences from allowing myself to open up to people who were hurtful to me. What well, makes you hopeful, I think, which is something that's very nice to have, mm-hmm. you know, and someone has to be that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that everyone is sort of motivated, not out of like evil intentions, but out of a when people do things that are wrong, it's because they misunderstand how what they're going to do. They're, they misunderstand where their motivations are coming from and they misunderstand their effect on people. Or I guess – I mean there are some people who are just fucking like beating people up and, and raping people and killing people and they know what they're doing. Um, but a lot of times they come from a place of feeling – entitled or justified and like to unpack where they how they feel how they got to that place of feeling justified and entitled enough to enact a violence on another human mm. being is yeah that's where we could solve things that's me. where we could exactly. solve almost everything it feels like yeah it like, feels I like yeah sometimes we're that. fighting the ro- yeah we're It's not enough for me to like point out, oh, you did this because you were feeling entitled, like you're an entitled asshole. It's I want to like go and be like, but how did you get there? Right? How did you get there, Uh, you entitled asshole? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. I want to find the entitled uh, uh, Lord's testament. Let's get back up the system. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, it's funny. It's like, um, yeah, the people aren't the in the end of it all. Yeah, people aren't the problem, and. It's 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 whatever has caused us to to behave these ways is 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 the problem, mm-hmm. you know. And, and yeah, sometimes you wonder if it's defeatable or not. But the only thing that makes you feel good is to try and defi- is to try and fight it. Yeah, and and I think to try to see it, right? Because I think that a lot of people don't want to like look that far down because they feel like it's justifying bad behavior. Mm. But I don't think understanding bad behavior means you're justifying it. Interesting. Um, I I think that yeah, because I sometimes yeah. have wondered while we've been speaking, like, okay, is she just trying to justify that people behave badly, like in these systems and stuff? But now I don't see what you're saying, but having an understanding of it, mm-hmm. um, because then if you can. You can help them understand it too. Yeah. Because man, imagine what it feels like probably to have killed someone and not even have any clue why. Yeah. And then that's how you're just living. Totally. Yeah. And like I've talked to women. I've talked to women who killed their kids because they were feeling postpartum depression and they then they didn't have a good uh, support system around them and they just felt like they they were have they had a breakdown. They had a mental breakdown of like I can't handle my own life Mm. and the only thing that I know to do right now in this like I'm trapped in my life is to put my baby in a garbage can I can't like I can't think of anything else to do Mm. and and that I've talked to that person and she feels terrible for what she did and she can never escape it and she constantly feels like she's falling in black holes and like and can never get out of it but like you know I understand that she felt like how she felt when she did that bad right. thing, and that yeah, doesn't and empowering people it. with understanding is is uh, there's there is something empowering about that, and empowering them to like get out of that place is also yeah. good. Like I I think that right now there's a there's this kind of movement for sort of like defining people as one thing and then saying you are that thing and you will be that thing forever and like fuck you, and that's not 
how human beings work. But that's changing though, I think. Like even did you see uh, Joe Rogan interview Bernie Sanders? Did you happen to see Oh, that no, I didn't see that. No. And whatever thoughts you're on politics and I, you know, and I don't talk much about politics, but um but it was just interesting to see a long-form conversation with a politician. It just gave you a different it gave you way different ideas of who that man was kind of as a person. Instead of sound bites. Yes, yeah. instead of sound bites. It was it was really fascinating, I thought. Did you think, Nick? Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They need a- more of that. He's done it with Telsey Gabbert too. I, if every single candidate could do it, uh, I think we'd be all be more informed. Yeah. We would be better off for sure. But, so I think yeah, I think especially through podca- past podcasting and stuff that the 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 hope that you're talking about, I think it's growing. Mm-hmm. You know, I really I think believe that's that. fair. Yeah, no, we talk I, about it a lot on here. I really think it's growing. I mean, I especially think with Rogan and talking to Bernie Sanders, I think it's going to change the entire landscape of like how people accept other, how they learn who a person is. Yeah. Um. So I think, uh, and you, yeah, you seem like you're going to be like like. Co- like a co like a co like a operative like a black ops professional <laughs> on like you just so you're very great at communicating with people oh, um well, thanks yeah it's a great skill i'm sitting here the whole time wishing that i was you instead of me Why? um just because you're just better at talking and it's like it's more <laughs> it's just more organized um what uh i have this question for you so you are you haven't you've been in, you've been engaged now mm-hmm. and you guys have a now, how does that go? You guys had such the wild engagement, the meteor landed, mm-hmm. a meteor of love. Yes. And uh, which is really cool. It kind of reminded me of like chivalry and like, oh, it's, it reminded me when I was in junior high, dude, I had acne, bro. I mean, I had a lot oh, of Oh my God. I had the most acne. Did Remember you? how I never got laid in high school? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> bro, I would smile and some of my acne would like bust if oh, I smiled too God. big. It was just like pain. I just had like those oh, deep yeah. ones, like the deep, a <laughs> deep pain. Those it was like insane. it's like as deep as my shame. Yeah. Like that's how deep my acne was. It was so bad. <laughs> yeah, there's no there's no top to it's not even a zit. It's, no, it's, it's like just a, a deep uh, anger that's a rock <laughs> in your face. It's so bad. But at that time, I walked across the basketball court and like I got on my knee and I like, gave a rose to some girl, like, you know, and she had some real thighs on her, bro, but she was really she was really beautiful and uh so anyway, the best of us have thighs. Yeah, on us. that's the best of us. Yeah, and I really do. I've got a butt like a down syndrome girl, but um and no offense if anybody has Down syndrome either. But um, but anyway, it just kind of reminded me of that. It was like, oh, here's some nice chivalry going on. Mm-hmm. Well, the gesture, right? Like, yes, the gesture. gesture that somebody yeah. took time that he that he thought in advance. Yeah. Um. What What are some things that uh that attracted you to your current fiance? Oh, that's a great question. Thank you for asking. Well, um, I know he cared enough to come with you. I just think it's you know I, I think uh yeah, and, and I'm curious as to like how you were able to like um. Yeah, I guess how someone like you like looks, uh, how they accept like you know pe- other people's care or how they notice it, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the wonderful special things about Chris um, is when I first met him, he did not Google me. Um, he didn't really know much about the case. Um, and actually, maybe I should just give you our origin story. Do you want our origin I'll story? I'll take it. Yeah. Okay. Of cool. Since, um, yeah. After the meteor, I need to know. <laughs> yeah, you need like the yeah, yeah the, know where the, the superheroes thing. began. So our origin story is that um, I was doing local arts correspondence for a local newspaper under a pseudonym um, around like 2015. 
Um, and I was, I was doing arts correspondence. So I was going to plays, writing reviews, doing all that kind of thing. And I was given this debut novel by these two novelists. Um, and I, and I read it and it was hilarious and heartbreaking and I laughed and I cried and it was so smart. And so I wrote this rave review, submitted it to the paper and that was going to be the end of it. Except the very next day I walked out of my apartment building and across the street in like the diner window was like a concert poster before a book reading for this book that I had just read. And I was like, that's coinkadink. Like, I never go out, but maybe I'll go to this book reading. So I did. And when I got well, there... Wow, so you, you felt susceptible to a poster for a book reading. Yes, I did. And which, the concert before. Remember, I'm a nerd. Yes. So. No, I wonder I wonder who falls susceptible <laughs> to those posters. And now... This girl. <laughs> Two thumbs, this person. Um, and so I went, and what I witnessed was... Um, these two guys. One of them is this like big, bald military guy with a lisp. Mm-hmm. And his best friend, who had like stripes carved into his beard and like Elton John t shirt and like glasses. And it was the most beautiful bromance I had oh, ever yeah, seen. I can see that. And I asked him for an interview. So they invited me over to Chris's house. And we did an interview, but that kind of devolved into drinking scotch and watching Star Trek and like meandering out into the like neighborhood throughout the evening and just kind of like shenanigans. And at the end of that, Gavin, his best friend, this military guy, gave me this big bear hug. And Chris reached out and was like, and to shake my hand and said, we should be friends. Mm. And, you know, that's a throwaway kind of thing, except like this came a month after I was fully exonerated. Oh, wow. And it was the first time I thought, oh, I can make friends in the real world, like a real person. And so they became like my first friends after I was fully exonerated. Um, And, you know, life went on. and and, Oh, yeah, friendship will escalate. Yeah, friendship will escalate. And so nine months later, we we started hooking up and, and dating. Um, and, you know, poor Chris, like he has to, you know, his relationship has been with me. Mm-hmm. But it's also kind of been with that like doppelganger version of me in the room. Like my my trauma is an ever-present part of my life. Mm-hmm. Little anecdotes about like, oh, have you seen Wally? And I was like, when did it come out? Because I was probably <laughs> yeah, in prison. Yeah. <laughs> like that oh, yeah. kind I of thing is like day, comes like, up. Yeah. yeah, you can't even play fuck Mary Kill at all without somebody being like, well, uh-huh. that's a little. Do people say that all the time? Oh, all the time. It's Damn. me, Casey Anthony, and who's the other one? Um in Fuck Mary Kill. It's another person. But and Jody even, Arias. But do people say things to you all the time? And they're like, oh, man, I didn't even realize that I can't say that. Like, it must. Does that happen sometimes or not really? Oh, no. I um, I am super accommodating and have a sense of humor about the oh, whole yeah. thing. Like, it seems like it. I'm, I'm not going it's your to be life. like, harumph. Right. <laughs> you know, but like, I, I'm, I understand when people are in a space where it's just like, I can't laugh about that. I don't know. I did have, I did have one comedian make a joke about me once um, and it came at just a really bad time. Like it it came on the heels of him meeting me in a very different environment. He was actually interviewing um, Chris about Mm -hmm. his book Mm -hmm. and he didn't know it was me. And I just kind of happened to be there. I was like, um, I was doing some cross stitch in the corner. (laughs) (laughs) In every story, you're like in the 1700s. I know, but it was like, it was a super Mario cross stitch. So it was modern day. Yeah. yeah. So I was doing a super Mario cross stitch in the corner. And this, and so like this guy doesn't really notice me and it's only after the interview, after we left that he realized it was me. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, six months go by and my little sister for her birthday wants to go out to see this comedian. And so we all go out, we all get dressed up like all the girls doing the girly thing and and going out to see this comedian that she likes. And the opener for this comedian is this other guy who met me six months ago, but didn't realize who I was. And he starts out his bit with, you know, you know how like you don't know when there's like a famous person in the room with you until after they've left. And then he goes on on the shtick where he's like, man, you can't like leave me in a room with a man and she'll kill me with her knitting needles. And it was just not a good joke. Right. Like it was it wasn't a good joke, but it was it was also just it hurt. Hurt because, like, on the one hand, my little sister was like, it's my little sister's birthday, and suddenly my name gets dropped, right. and like, so it's suddenly like, oh. everyone's like, the focus is on me, and there's yeah. like, Amanda, is she going to be okay? Like, they're talking about her, they're making jokes about her killing people with knitting needles, and so on the one hand, it upset me because it took us out of like my sister's birthday, and on the other hand, it upset me because it's like this guy met me, and I was like, you just, being you, I was just being me. I was doing Super Mario cross stitch in the corner, and right. he felt like the joke to make about that situation was she'll kill me with knitting needles, and it's right. like that is so easy and so mean. I don't know. It just it did. It felt like you know, like I expect it when people don't know me and haven't met me in person. Mm-hmm. To like make jokes at my expense because they just don't think I'm a human being, and I I wasn't expecting like the person who it would be like if you went out and did a comedy thing after like having this conversation and was like oh I you know I yeah it hurt, like, yeah, it you know, hurt like, your feelings or yeah if, like, yeah yeah or if, well if you made a joke about like you know. Uh, about me killing you in the room or something right. like that's it's not a good joke like yeah. if you want to make a joke like I, I, i'm fine with the people making jokes about me but yeah. like be make them be good, good jokes yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i don't know yeah yeah everyone will think uh, i'm guilty like oh, that's, that's a good, a good one point. right so oh, Amanda you, did it. yeah exactly <laughs> so and, and like the joke that i say around everyone is, is like you're not allowed to die around me because <laughs> i don't care what you did like i'm like if someone give yeah. that guy a heimlich maneuver because i can't I'm be one i'm <laughs> over one like i can't like deal with this nobody's gonna believe this <laughs> no one's one. gonna believe me <laughs> even like yeah you only uh, get one get out of jail in four years card i guess so yeah. um so you and Chris, and so you guys have a wedding date set yet? Or no? Yeah, February 29th, uh, which is Leap Day. Um, we've, <laughs> I, like I know, and I know, but even better, and this is like the best. So like we took, so we took like the 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 kind of crystal of that first thing, mm-hmm. and we were and, like, and I was referencing a video. You guys don't know, I was referencing a video on YouTube that you can see of uh, their proposal. Yeah, so Chris basically made a meteorite fall and crash land in my backyard and inside the meteorite wasn't just like a ring it was a broken data crystal from the future encyclopedia galactica (laughs) that was like wikipedia of our future together and he was like wow i guess we have a future together i guess that means do i like ask you now I guess it's really happening now. Will you marry me? And like that was like the 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 game was like, oh, the future says that I propose to you right now. Ah. So I guess I have to propose to you right now. And so what we've done is we've built a story around that where the data crystal came rocketing back in time because us in the future went to the Encyclopedia Galactica and looked ourselves up mm. and broke 
our time stream. So our time uh, stream has been broken, and now we we are only hypothetical Amanda and Chris getting married. And unless everyone we love comes together into one bubble outside of space and time and knits our time stream together, oh. then we don't exist anymore. So... Still knitting then. <laughs> More knitting it ends with. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. I like yeah, it's uh it's really cute. And it's just yeah, it's still um yeah, it's like a lot of make believe, you know? It's cool yeah. though. We like to I love to play. Yeah. Dancing is playing, getting dressed up in costumes is playing. You've always been like that. I've always loved to play. Yeah. And um music is playful. Like if you're singing and playing music together, that's play because you can like you never know what the next person is gonna happen and you just kinda like bounce off of them. I love play and I love kind of like getting people out of their shells mm -hmm. to play with me. Mm. And I think that if you give people an excuse to put on a costume, they'll do it. But they need an excuse. I, I don't do. need an excuse. I'll put on a costume. Yeah at any time but like a lot of the people i love need an excuse and so it's not gonna be halloween it's gonna be february 29th it's gonna be a wedding yeah wow it's beautiful <laughs> congratulations thank on you. uh on so much going on in your life thank you um you know i texted to the guy Payne Lindsay. do you know who he is he does yeah i love Payne Lindsay. he's great yeah. yeah i was gonna try to connect you guys i don't know if maybe if you have had... been connected oh, you have yes we ran into each other at a um true crime convention oh cool um, of course. <laughs> yeah. No, I just I was just thinking a few minutes ago, I was like, I wonder who maybe if she was gonna, you know, have a guess or or uh He's or actually invited me to be on one of his new podcasts. But oh, nice. I think it's supposed to I think everyone's supposed to be anonymous, so maybe I just ruined it. Oh. Well, oh, if well. you decide that that's true, we can take that apart out. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> um, congratulations. Thanks so much for coming in. Uh, yeah. Do we have any other questions, Nick? Uh, did some come in from the viewers or did we cover it? Oh, we have a couple Patreon. Um, but I was wondering like how familiar you are with some of the really big true crime stories like serial and making a murder. And mm -hmm. if you see any like parallels with your case in them, or sure. if you have specific, like you think they did it or didn't do it in those instances. <laughs> I know people love those didn't or didn't <laughs> do it. Yeah. Um, I'm aware of both those cases. So Adnan Syed um, and Brendan Dassey. Um, so, I am good friends with one of Brendan Dassey's attorneys, mm -hmm. um, who's an expert in false confessions. I think that um, there's a flagrant abuse of um, his rights. He yeah. was he was forced to falsely confess, and that is the only evidence they used to convict him. It's obscene that his um, that his conviction wasn't overturned. It's um, obscene that he's in there. It's obscene that he's in there, and um, you know Stephen Avery. I, I is, a, is the question is a little more complicated um, and I don't know the facts of his case as well but I know I know also through my friend um, that Brendan Dassey it's just ludicrous and he needs to get out of prison now and anything anyone can do to help matters and like one of the things that I'm trying to do to help in my own way is just try to raise awareness of false confessions mm -hmm. and coercive interrogation techniques and how police once again, like in these environments, you know, people think that if you make a false confession or a false admission or a false accusation, like that it's coming from you when in fact it's like the police are authoring a narrative and you have to just sign on. And like they bully you and psychologically torture you until you can't take it anymore and you're willing to sign on to anything yeah. just to make it stop. Oh, I can imagine. So, Four like, or five hours of torture and that's... No, yeah. it's... Eh, <laughs> so it's it's yeah no like and brandon dassey was so young and he like he was 
he was so a minor, so impressionable. Yeah. They like put him through it for days and days and days. It's just it's ridiculous what happened to him. Adnan Syed, I think there is. Um, I signed alongside um, a number of my exoneree buddies. We all signed a petition in order to get his case relooked at. Um, so you know, like now, when you say that, do you mean that he is uh, that you believe that he's innocent, or you just think that he should be relooked at? He deserves to have a new trial. I don't I think that the evidence that was used to convict him um, was sufficient to find guilt. Um, and you know, I I think that it's it's only fair that someone is actually put through a justice process based on evidence that makes sense. Um, and it's only then that we can all determine that. I would love to sit on a jury one day, yeah. but no one's ever going to put me on a jury. Like <laughs> no one's ever going to put me on a jury and I would love to be on that jury. Gosh, maybe what if you knit a nice disguise? I bet you could go on. I mean, because yeah, I think you'd be you? a good juror. You know, yeah. I think you'd have probably a lot of, I, I, I bet you have a lot of questions probably, but I bet it would be good. Oh, certainly. And I mean, and you know, I come from it from an experience, but that doesn't mean that I'm like biased towards innocence or guilt or anything. Like I, I, what it, what I am biased about is like, I know how f- fucked up the system can be. Yeah, you're and like I, Amanda Dufresne. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought of that actually. Uh, do we have anything else, Jenny? Uh, n- all the Patreon we pretty much answered, um, but I just had one question. Sure. Uh, like, what was your day like when you found out that you were reconvicted? Like, you were in the U.S. Did you just like roll over to a text message? You're like, oh shit. Like, I'm just curious. Oh god, um, the build up to that was really hard. It wasn't like. Oh yeah! Oh look at that! Look yeah, at me! Yeah, yeah. Um, it, 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 there was, um, I think, the thing, the more shocking moment for me was actually when the Supreme Court in Italy overturned my first acquittal. I was not expecting that, and so that was a phone call from my lawyer to say <sighs> to give me the bad news and to let me know that I had to go through yet another trial because it wasn't just like, you know an overturn of an acquittal, it means they sent me back to be retried again. And so I was retried again in absentia. Um, they found me guilty. And from, Jeepers. and yeah, and so again, I have that phone call with my lawyer who tells me we're going to fight it. Um, but I didn't know what that meant. Like, I suddenly had to start thinking about what extradition looked like. And how I was going to, if Italy decided to, you know, if the Supreme Court in Italy was going to confirm that conviction, how I was going to turn myself in to the local authorities and make a case for at the very least serving my time in the U.S. Mm. so that my family, it wasn't such a burden on my family. Um, I I was living, yes, a lot of people like think, you know, four years in prison, but it was really eight years of of waiting to know if I was allowed to live again. Yeah. So. Wow. What a pur, I mean, just what a purgatory for like your growth and for your humanity. Yeah, my 20s were this. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm only 32 now, so it's weird, like I'm, I'm weirdly very, very young in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um which means that I'm like stumbling around and, and trying to like figure out what being a real a real person 
is like when there's not much left of being a real person so <laughs> <laughs> I don't but think, like you but, know but, but, yeah but then in other ways i think we might be on a horizon of of realizing the value of humanity again in some ways and that's what i hope a lot of times you yeah know, well that, i i love what you're doing because it sounds like you're you're coming from this like optimistic place of like if i just sit with someone we'll we'll just be humans together and yeah. isn't that great did everyone forget how cool that is? And like, I love that. That's oh, that's a that's a really really useful thing to do. Yeah. So I think we try our best. You know, we've learned we learn as we go in here. You know. Yeah. We definitely try our best. Uh, have you had? But any, thank you for saying that. Yeah. Have you had any contact with Meredith's family? This is another question that I get a lot of. Um, the answer to that question is once again, it's complicated. Um, I've I've written and sent a letter to them many years back, but what I have um, what I have heard from their lawyer and um, in general is that they are not in a in a place to want to talk to me. Like in the in these situations. You have people who have gone through a terrible trauma and they have an experience of me that like just the very being of me is a trigger for that trauma. Yeah, it might just remind them of it and there's nothing wrong yeah. with that or anything. And so like when it comes to the Kircher family, I firmly believe that like they have like if I, I – it's not my position to force myself on them to be understood by them. Um, if, right. if and when they want – to have a relationship with me, I'm ready, um, and I'm 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 ready to answer every hard question that they might have. Um, I do think this is a this is a whole thing about restorative justice, right? It's like coming to see how like how a how a crime, Meredith's murder, has impacted so many people, and like finding that common ground and finding a reconciliation and understanding. But like you have to be ready and willing to like come to the table with that goal in mind. And yeah. until that happens, like I can't force myself mm -mm. on them. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of times in my own like uh, issues and stuff, if I'm not like I want to do something, but I'm not ready, I'll pray for like willingness. Hmm. You know, yeah. it's like I'll pray for like the step before the capability. Yeah. You know, it's like just, you know, make God make me willing mm. to do this because I want to. I'm having trouble getting to yeah. the action. Yeah, that's the biggest, like, I think that's the biggest challenge is, like, a lot of people, like, they could do it if only they could, like, bring themselves to do it, yeah. you know? Did you uh, did you have faith? Did you struggle with faith? Did that come in your uh in your sentence at any point, like when you were by yourself or when you were in prison? Mm, so I am an atheist and... Um, Boo! <laughs> no, it's okay. Everybody has their own experience with... Uh, I, I'm ho I, I'm very hopeful that... The, I try my best to have faith, you know? Okay. Um, yeah, that's that's cool. Um, yeah, and so is yours. Yours is okay. It's it's okay. <laughs> I well, I <laughs> no, it's good. You're like sad a little, though. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm a little sad, I, probably, but it's probably because of my own thoughts. It's probably yeah. somehow I'm pro projecting my own stuff. Yeah, know? I wonder, like, what atheist, like, what a that word means to you, because um, I, I clearly do a lot of, or clearly, I guess maybe not clearly. Um, I do a lot of self-reflection. I do a lot of meditation. I do a lot of thinking about my place in the world and my impact on on people in the world. Um, and those are all things that really that are really important to me. And one thing that's also really important to me is like 
one thing that's very real to me is that I can't rely on the universe to like be good. Right. Right. Like for me, there is no like the universe is good or bad. It's not any of those things. All it is is existence. Existence is what it is. It's neutral. Um, and we happen to be conscious and we are we have concepts of like what ju- what makes something good or or bad like human suffering bad bad for me bad for you bad for everyone we know that that's bad yeah um but it's not because it's inherently bad it's not because someone decided or decreed that it was bad or that the dogma decreed that it was bad it's just that's how we experience things right we know and it's bad we know it's bad and we don't want that to happen to someone we wouldn't want it we wouldn't wish it upon ourselves and like so when i'm finding when i'm trying to find you know guidance or or when i'm looking for that willingness to do something it's it's motivated with the understanding that like the only thing that can make the only thing i can do in my like smallness and aloneness is try to like make connections with human beings and try to Bring, try to like make as less suffering as possible and and as much like joy and growth as possible and and I have to find that in myself and I know that like no one's writing me no one's like telling me to do that it's really just me right. me in my head alone figuring that out for myself and that's a responsibility that I have to take mm. you know I feel responsible because I'm aware of myself right and being aware of myself is like the first thing that I have to do as a conscious being yeah and it's still a, it's a fight for good it's like we're on this it's this equal, there's no judgment from the universe against us, you're no, saying. No. And it's but we do know right from wrong. We do know how it feels anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and on our and on our human scale, it's important. It's important. But in the big grand scheme of things, it's not. Yeah. But for us it is. And like just because something in the big grand scheme of things is utterly meaningless doesn't mean that it isn't meaningful to us right now because right this is the level that we live on. Right. We don't right. live on cosmic levels. Right, right. We don't live Kind of yeah. There's not this eternal. There's it's right now. Yeah, right now. Well, I think that one thing that's that I mean, I certainly agree with. It's like yeah, we. I think that good is infectious. You know. Okay. Yeah. And so it's like, um, yeah, like uh, that. It's a battle. Yeah, it is a battle. It's like I I can choose to battle for good or or to or to not. You know, and I, I think the we're one thing that I would push back on that mm-hmm. is I don't like the term battle. Okay. Because battle means that there's an enemy. And like, uh, I think that it's very, very easy to fall into this mindset when you have an enemy that you then find a target to uh, to be the like the object of your enemy. Whereas for me, mm-hmm. I look at it as you're building something, you're creating something. We're always creating something. And what are you creating? What are you? What do you put? What energy are you putting into it? It's going to exist in the world, and you're creating it. Um, what is like it going to do? And I will say this, and I will. My last move will be <laughs> that you would know that from personal experience a lot better than I would. How that, you know, how when somebody when there's a lot of, you know, energy that it can be targeted at someone. Mm-hmm. So I'll yeah, it's like kind of like that. that blame or forgiveness thing. It's yeah. like I'm not even I'm that's not even like what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about like what am I putting out into the world and and what is its impact? Yeah. It's a drop in an ocean. Like what is that ripple effect? Yeah. So. 
I think we, I think we certainly agree on that. Um, my last question is, how much did it, did the whole, th- did it all cost? It must, I can't even imagine the cost of all the the attorneys and everything. I don't even, I could not even tell you how much it cost because it costs that much. Wow. Like I, my, my, what my family paid, what I've had to pay, what I'm continuing to have to pay. Um, and it's for something that's not even your fault. No. Wow. That's a lot of power. It's a lot of power to stand up in the face of all those different things and to, uh, you know, to, you know, be someone who still um, wants to help others, you know, or still or just wants. I don't know. Uh, it's impressive. It's, int- it's very interesting. It and helps me. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I can't say that, like, me helping others doesn't help me because right. along the way I'm finding meaning. Yeah. Like I'm having that connection. And so as much as that person is having that connection with me, I'm having that connection with that person. <sighs> Tell me like three things that you really love about Chris and then we'll be done. No. Yeah. Oh, Cause you're like taking notes. <laughs> well, we started on it. I want to finish. And I think it's very sweet that he's just been patient and been here. And so oh. I want him to feel a part of it. So, um, so okay. three things that three are things nice that I love him. about Chris. Yeah. Um, Chris is willing to confront what he's afraid of. Um, Chris is an excellent communicator and we- are going to say chef, sorry. Well, he also is an excellent chef, but like he, um, but he's an excellent, communication is really important to me. And I think that like communication hasn't really been one of those things that the grander culture has instilled in, in in boys it's not something that like we hold up as something that's very important for young men is to have like an an, an emotional intelligence that they are able to communicate mm-hmm. young girls are like from a very young age we're taught to like get up in each other's business and be like oh do you have a crush on this guy well why do you have a crush on that guy and, yeah. like, and that is like brute practicing emotional intelligence and it's less so something that young men are encouraged to do but like he is very very emotionally intelligent and very very good at communicating when like he understands that I experience the world. Sometimes I experience the world and I experience emotions in a different way than he does, but he doesn't hold that against me. He understands Mm. that like I just experience the world as I do. He experiences the world as he does. And we both appreciate those differences. Like for instance, a really good example, Chris looks at boobs and he can't stop looking at boobs, you know, like he just like looks at mannequins. He looks at like, he looks at anything that remotely resembles a boob and he just kind of can't help himself. Like he just kind of gets distracted and it's, you know, and it's just, it's like so real. (laughs) And like, it's something that I, like, I don't have a comparison. It's not like I look at like guys shoulders and go, I'm so distracted right right now. Like I just don't experience that. But I appreciate that he's able to communicate with me what that's like, and I can communicate something on the other right, end. Right, because otherwise guys are sneaking around the mall trying to hide behind a plant and look. Yeah, at and you don't and have to arguing with them, and then that's it. And yeah, and like I kind of like now 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 that I'm in on it. Yeah. Like we're kind of in on it together, and I'm like, are you looking at that yeah. those boobs? And I'm like, and he's like, yeah, and I'm like, okay, I see, I see you. <laughs> You're like, how are you over here knitting a cloak? I'm gonna let you have yeah, your minute. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of tits, guys. Um, Amanda, what's your middle name? Marie. Amanda Marie Knox. Thanks for uh, being here today, and people can check out your podcast, The Truth About True Crime. That's right. Right, and thank you. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Of course, thank you. Yeah. Now I'm just floating on the breeze And I feel I'm falling like these leaves I must be 
Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Jonathan Kite, and welcome to Kite Club, a podcast where I'll be sharing thoughts on things like current events, stand-up stories, and seven ways to pleasure your partner. The answer may shock you. Sometimes I'll interview my friends. Sometimes I won't. And as always, I'll be joined by the voices in my head. You have three new voice messages. A lot of people are talking about Kite Club. I've been talking about Kite Club for so long, longer than anybody else. So great. Hi, sweetheart. Here's a deal. Anyone who doesn't listen to Kite Club is a dodgy bloody wanker. Charmaine. Hi, I'll take a quarter pounder with cheese and a McFlurry. Sorry, sir, but our ice cream machine is broken. I think Tom Hanks just butt-dialed me. Anyway, first rule of Kite Club is tell everyone about Kite Club. Second rule of Kite Club is tell everyone about Kite Club. Third rule, like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or watch us on YouTube, yeah? And yes, don't worry, my Brad Pitt impression will get better.